Hey guys, before we get going, if you use trading apps, you got to check out eToro. It's a good way to gain exposure to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies while still getting your fix with the more traditional assets that you might know more about or just want more exposure to. eToro is also a social trading platform, which means it's kind of like social media and trading together. With copy trading, you can copy or just sort of adapt to the trading strategies of some of the best traders worldwide on the platform. This is not only going to give you exposure to how people are buying Bitcoin, but it's also going to show you what people are doing when they're expecting downturns or, you know, one of those bull runs. So head over to eToro.com to get started on your 2020 portfolio today. eToro, smart crypto trading made easy. Welcome, welcome. What's up, everybody? Dave Hollerith here. This is the Bitcoin Magazine podcast, and that means it's a show that focuses on the tech, political, and social happenings around Bitcoin. Some of you may or may not know, we at Bitcoin Magazine also dedicate a fair chunk of time to covering the darknet. Some of Bitcoin's most well-known and early use cases occurred on the darknet. I'm talking about things like WikiLeaks and everything on Silk Road. For beginners, these marketplaces are not completely anonymous, but they are a lot more private than anything we use on the clearnet. Also, this extra layer of anonymity presents an interesting and obvious problem when trying to make commercial transactions. How can you trust anybody? And it's true, there's tons of scams in this area, but actually trust builds on these anonymous marketplaces. Before something like that happens, there's a huge opportunity for scams. On today's episode, I'm stoked to present you a darker story about the hoax and reality of one of the nichest scam markets happening on the internet today. Murder for hire or assassination marketplaces have been embedded in the urban legends and rumors surrounding the dark web for at least a decade. And the best coverage of this topic I read over the last few years has come from a long form piece by Brian Merchant. Click here to kill. This episode, I'm talking with Brian about his piece, how he got involved following a story around the murder for hire scams, and also the history and darker reality of what this kind of marketplace is. I'm attaching Brian's piece in our show notes, and I definitely encourage you to read it before listening to this interview. The rest of this episode is very dark, and if you don't want to hear about murder plots, real and fake, I'd suggest you skip this episode. Here's my interview with Brian Merchant. Hey, Brian. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dave. So uh, the focus of the conversation um, is click here to kill. I think you did a fantastic job with it. And it follows real incidences of people who are impacted by these murder for hire darknet markets. Our audience is fairly acquainted with darknet markets. So murder for hire is not really a shock. I think a lot of people just don't actually know a ton about it. So in your story, there's a girl, Alexis Stern, a high schooler. She has a fairly normal life. Uh, ironically, she self-publishes uh, sci-fi novels that are sort of like thrillers. And then her life is like completely upended when she finds out that somebody has placed a $5,000 hit on her through a darknet murder for hire service. Starting from there, can you fill in some of those gaps? Like, when and where did you get involved in the story? Yeah, 
So I started covering this general space um, when I was at, at, at Vice, maybe five, six years ago at this point now. Um, some, of, some of your listeners um, and readers will surely remember when, um, as a stunt, sort of a anonymous uh, developer built a um, version of the assassination market that um, Jim Bell, who we'll probably talk about in a little bit, imagined um, way back in the 90s. Um, he used a, a, a pseudonym and he made basically a, a murder for hire sort of crowdsourcing where, where you could ostensibly pay Bitcoin to have Ben Bernanke, you know, Barack Obama killed. And it was a, pretty clearly a stunt and it made some headlines and it was sort of, you know, the occasional kind of, uh, you know, emergence of one of these murder markets in the press that gets talked about, you know, and about why the dark web is so scary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this particular one was interesting because of that parallel to the early web history of, of Jim Bell, this guy who was a cypherpunk who had um, concocted this thought experiment basically in the, in the mid nineties um, when sort of some of the earliest thought experiments and sort of uh, math was being done around uh, uh, cryptocurrency. It wasn't a real thing yet in any, you know, meaningful sense, but it was because articles were showing up in Scientific American, you know, the, the proof of concept of a encrypted uh, sort of, you know, distributed currency was was beginning to emerge. And this guy named Jim Bell, who was an Intel, uh, Intel engineer, who was also sort of this avowed crypto anarchist, basically. A cypherpunk, uh, essentially. He was a cypher. Yeah, he was. He wasn't one of the original sort of cypher, but he was, he did get added to the list. Um, and he was kind of a more a French figure in the cypherpunks community, which was already kind of viewed sometimes, depending on where you sat, as kind of a you know, a, sure. a, a fringe group. Yeah. But he, so his idea was, again, assassination politics. It was this essay that he outlined and published online, and then it, and then it was distributed on the Cypherpunks mailing list, was basically you could have, you know, a system where once cryptocurrency is available, you could basically have a crowdsourced market where people could nominate government figures he was you know anti-government thought the government was corrupt without exception so any any public figure that wronged um its constituents would be uh, would be up for being added to this list you would then use your cryptocurrency to sort of make these betting pools and you you would you'd say like you know i want x dead and you'd donate your amount and the amounts would rise and the real innovation was that if you had a, a, an encrypted means of, of paying for something, then the two parties, you, you know, would never have to meet the person. So what you would do, you could, you would pledge a prediction on the other side. If you said, oh, look, you know, the governor of Indiana is, the bounty has risen to $100,000 worth of um, cryptocurrency. That, you know, that's interesting. And the other side, you would make a quote unquote prediction as to when that person would die, you, you would register that prediction. And then if it came to pass, and the person was indeed dead on that day, and it was correct, there would be a hash that would sort of unlock that, that, that connection and make that payment. Um, 
and you would basically automatically get get those funds. You would never have to meet any of the people that that made the the quote unquote bet. And of course, the only way that you know when somebody's going to die to be certain by the day is that you would do it yourself. So it's basically this prediction market for um, you know assassinations. And he you know got a lot of heat from the authorities because that kind of thing, this, these kind of thinking and these like more disturbing, um, you know, ideas and philosophies are commonplace now, but back in the nineties, the web was still new. People were still kind of very uneasy about very many things online. And so this seemed particularly dark or disturbing to the authorities who then really kind of, tailed him and he you know we could it, don't want to go do too far down the Jim Bell lane but it was yeah. he he basically spent 10 years plus in prison um partly because he's you know, he would he didn't pay his taxes and he had did some broke some real laws but also because he was spooking the the powers that be basically and the FBI was indeed tailing him and he sort of looked up information on about them on a public database and it was the flimsiest charges really but it violated his parole and the judge sent him away for 10 years so it basically he became this dark figure who's kind of animated a lot of discussions about some of the um you know more sketchy uses for cryptocurrency on the dark web and he and people have made these they've they've either used his ideas to sort of undergird their hoaxes yeah uh, yeah so that that's basically where it comes in into the story this, he gives he plants this idea that on the dark web assassination can happen you can hire you know killers you can um you know for, through various means and and you know hoaxers and um scammers then sort of take advantage of this idea and plus sort of the alarmism of the media. So over the next, you know, 20 years, you see some of these things pop up from time to time. They're either stunts or they're hoaxes or they're grifts. And in the case of this story, I started following this, this, this stunt and I started looking around as to what else was out there. And I found some of the some strange occurrences having to do with the, the the one market that was really seemed like it was putting an effort into appearing real had a payment system that was designed to like accept money it looked like there was like a menu that you could choose how you so it looked and there had been sort of cases of money changing hands here. And this was originally called Besa Mafia. And then it was and then it would change names every so often as people exposed it for a hoax. But I, I found this one and I became really interested in the story of all the people that it sort of who had come into contact with it. And it's always, always bad bad news. Yeah, I mean the idea of like an assassination market. That's just sort of a taking a derivative of like the most extreme outcome of a prediction market, which prediction markets are, you know, they're talked about frequently. And I, I, I don't know if I've really seen it like a successful, like decentralized prediction market yet. But right. Um, Augur's, isn't Augur trying to do it? And yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just no money really on them. And I think it seems feels like a lot of things need to happen to like instill confidence in the system, which 
you know, is if you're ever going to have an actual assassination market, the one thing you need to you would be worried about is whether or not people had had confidence in it. Because that's I mean, that's the thing is that they've all been silly or hoaxes or dumb until, you know, thus far, you know, but, you know, they're obviously capable of being built, right? They're obviously sort of the technical uh, difficulties of making these are not extreme. It's just, you know, a matter of whether or not there's any confidence in the market and they're, they're in, in any of these such markets. And of course, there's not with good reason. Yeah. Um, so how did you find out about Alexis Stern? When I, I started researching this Basa Mafia thing, which it, it turned out to be really interesting because this hacker, this sort of white hat hacker and his friend had hacked into its back end and they had basically access to all the people who were actually buying hits or paying this scammer to to place a hit, which of course, if you're paying some guy on the dark web, 5000 10000 $20,000 to kill somebody, that's a pretty good indication that that person is in legitimate danger. Like the website itself is a hoax, but the person paying that kind of money, you know, is obviously serious about having this happen. So, yeah. so I had started going down the list of just everybody who um, this hacker, Chris Montero had, he had sort of organized the data into a wiki and he had, and he had, he had basically logged all of the, the conversations and transactions that were happening on this site. So I was just kind of working my way down. So Chris Montero had been going to the FBI with this information, asking them to sort of look up on, uh, look in on these previously, another hacker had kind of released some of the very earliest logs and the FBI had done a cursory kind of look into some of these people, it seems like. Um, but it was unclear as to whether the people on this kill list had actually been contacted because that's what it was. It was a kill. It's a kill list. It's like one of the most horrifying documents I've ever read, even though it's fictional, it like exists in this, in this sort of purgatory you know, where it you, it's really hard to decipher intent. Are, is this guy serious? Is he, yeah. you know, is this, does he want to kill his wife or is he just blowing off steam? Sometimes the dollar amount helps like, oh, this guy put down $5 to, because he wanted to sort of hire this guy to kill his stepmom. Thanks to Jeff. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh, like, okay. Or, and it turns out um, that guy, by the way, ended up going to jail for, for three years. Um, and some of these other guys have not ever been caught. So it's really, it's a, it's sort of a wasteland and it's just, it was a difficult story to report for that because sometimes you're laughing at how absurd some of these requests and interactions are. I detail a couple of them in the piece. Some yeah. I didn't go into. There's one, I'll just, just cause I, this didn't make it into the piece, but I, I pushed for it because it was just, it's like so absurd. It's like the sort of the modern day digital Fargo kind of like real killers, real bad ideas, real comedy. Uh, like it's just hard to untangle some of it, but there's this one case where this woman, I, I, we believe it's a woman was trying to have her ex-husband killed and she had paid $5,000 and Yura, who's the name of the site administrator, the hoaxer, especially in the early days would pretend that he was a real killer. He would like, you know, he would, um, con he would interact or he, not a real killer, but a real, um, 
a hire a real sort of ma mafioso who is dispatching these killers. So he would play the part in these chats and he would, he would say like, okay, I need 5,000 more dollars to get these guys to do it. They're in place. They just need more equipment. And she said, well, I've already given you $5,000. You need to prove to me that these guys are there waiting at the street corner. I told you to wait at, because he, he drives by the street corner every day and you can shoot him then as he pulls up. And he's, and, and you're the hoax guy says, Oh, well, you know, like, okay, so I, I need, I need more money. And she says, prove it. And he says, okay, here. And he takes a Google screenshot, a screenshot of Google street view at the corner with his, his, I'm assuming his finger photoshopped into the picture. So he's like pointing at the intersection that's supposed to be proof that there's a real killer waiting there. Yeah. Um, and she's like, this is obviously your finger photoshopped into Google Street View. I'm not giving you $5,000 more. Meanwhile, she's completely serious about having this guy murder her husband or her ex-husband. It was, it's just totally, totally insane. It, the, the space that this interaction occupies. Um, but so I was going down the list. I'm con I contacted I contacted that guy who did not believe me or did not want to talk to me. I was like, you know, you're somebody wants you dead. And he said, you know, let him come for me or whatever. I don't know. He was, <laughs> it was just totally. So I was going down that list and I found Alexis that way. Alexis was on this list. She was one of these names. Someone had paid $5,000 to have her killed. And she had, the FBI had contacted her local police department who had contacted her. She's this, she was 18 years old, just turned 18, just graduated high school, does not necessarily know the intricacies of sort of dark web, you know, uh, mechanics or whether, or whether or not she's actually in any danger has spent the last two years living in fear because somebody wants her dead for real. And the police have not been well, you know, well equipped enough to the, the, the other agencies, DHS and FBI have been involved, but they haven't been able to, to act in any way to meaningfully sort of push back against this. So she's just basically been living in fear. And really the story is about this emerging paradigm where even if such a thing is not real, I think the modes in which we're going to be able to inflict severe I guess psychic damage is is going to in, increase whether it's with these markets or with whatever else but it's it it again this is something that falls between the cracks of of what laws and law enforcement's jurisdiction you know maybe even reality itself it's who knows whether whether or not she's still in real danger I would argue that she is but the story is all about trying to figure out who used this market, what can be done to sort of exercise a little bit of oversight over these things. Like who can act? How do we stop this grotesque sort of apparatus from, yeah. Or, and how do we use it? How do we use it to our advantage? So two people on the list have died, have been killed. Really? One, Two people, yeah. One person on the kill list was killed by her husband, and it has been determined conclusively that her husband was the one who put the hit out. He paid out of five or six thousand dollars 
Europe. He brainstormed all kinds of ways that he wanted to see her dead. Um, you could, oh, maybe you could burn the house down while, while um, you know, don't kill the husband, don't kill th- the son because, you know, they're, um, they're good people and don't, and he was pretending to be some aggrieved competitor. She had like a pet grooming business or something. And he got fed up after months of inaction. Obviously this, the scammer just took his money. Um, and the, the FBI did come by, they were super sloppy about it. They'd completely ignored the fact that statistically, you know, the, a domestic partner is the most liable to, you know, do violence to a, to a partner. And they came and they sat both of them down at the same time and said, Oh, well, we know somebody wants uh, you dead. Did you, are you aware of this? And they both said, Oh my God, no, no. And they bought a gun for protection and then he killed her with it. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And this, the son discovered the body. I mean, this guy, total, when you think of a psychopath, it's this guy is a total psychopath. He's, he's uh, a, yeah, he was like the leader of a church, wasn't he? He was, yeah, he was like the elder in like, and it's this extreme church, which may or may not have it, something to do with why he did this is he was starting to have affairs on Ashley Madison and this church is super strict. No divorce is allowed. So I guess he decided that she had to die and they in the in the in the investigation they happened upon this hard drive he was actually an IT guy also that was his he made his living by being an IT guy and on the hard disk they found um the evidence of the of the bitcoin transaction and they were able to match the 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 the, the, the code the hash that um was on his hard drive with the one that was recorded on the the logs that that chris montero had hacked um so it they sort of coincidentally they weren't looking for him using montero's logs they found they found this data on his computer and they were aware i guess that that this person had been um uh sort of threatened so they were able to put it together that way and then the other one was a guy who was he his death was ruled a suicide um, and that's another thing that it seems like you see s- sometimes small percentage, you know, people putting themselves on this list in hopes that they'll get somebody to kill them as a form of taking their own life. Um, some, yeah. And, and some people are not convinced like there's a, there are as every case in this, um, ever there's bounds and a surfeit of, sketchy dimensions that you can go off into like in this guy's his name was brian Naroji. he was like a party promoter very young guy kind of an aspiring instagram um influencer kind of guy who was like big in a big in the party scene apparently and was also uh, military and he had just before his death had there was a a young woman who he took out a large life insurance policy and made her the beneficiary. So there's like the police department is convinced that it was a suicide, but his family is not. So lots and lots of grotesquerie. These are, and these are the, the, obviously the, the case of the Minnesota couple and the was the, is the, is the worst one, but there, there are in terms of what people are asking these imaginary assassins to do it, it's just uh, you know the, the sky's the limit it's just as horrifying as you could possibly uh, conceive of 
Yeah. So, so my first thought when you started describing uh, some of these, some of these uh, deaths, my first thought was this is literally beyond, beyond the realm of, of many imaginations and any kind of reality that anyone's ever heard of. But then I was also thinking um, it's also kind of strangely sounds kind of like human nature at its worst, always, you know, going this way or, or, or just has always happened this way. Like these kind of things have al- always happened. There's just kind of like, there's just sort of the internet as a, as a way to sort of like uh, perforate um, these impulses, I guess. What's your take there? Yeah. I mean, I think there are two th- elements that are worth noting on that. You know, I don't, I wouldn't say that, you know, people are suddenly worse or anything, but I would say that having access to these spaces can sort of encourage the worst proclivities to sort of be realized. When you have a space that is, or presumes to be, um, totally anonymous, uh, promises assassinations, promises, killings, promises you a space to make these, you know, these, these demands and to have this sort of dialogue, then something called like the online disinhibition effect, which is the theory of a guy named David Suler, which is pretty prominent, well-established at this point. is just that when you are, when you are on online, you and you are interacting with people under the pretense that your identity will never be discovered or that you will not be held accountable then yes you are saying you are more likely to say worse things to sort of act out more disturbing fantasies um you know for the vast vast majority of people this is all sort of usually can be you know sort of considered almost even even healthy you're sort of getting rid of this stuff it can be cathartic it can be whatever but you know it the question is does it sort of in some cases tip the scales a little bit you know for a, again this guy um Bo Bridges who was uh, convicted of you know hiring a hitman to kill his mother making a conspiracy to do this like this is was this i mean technically he did technically he paid somebody five dollars to kill his stepmother on the dark web even though he'd never met him could he have just been drunk and defense argues that he's mentally ill and it's not really contested that he is so a mentally ill guy who's angry drunk blowing off some steam now you're given this space are you willing to do things that are a little bit were are you willing to explore darker spaces? I don't know that that is the question. And the second part is that it's just all recorded. There's a, there's a log of all of this behavior when, you know, I don't know what the previous forum would have been sort of like a, you know, a, a rambling, angry, drunken conversation at a bar to your closest friends, you know, now, we have these spaces that are not interior and that, you know, it's one, another element that is true of the story is that even in this space that is supposed to be like the darkest of the dark web, you know, this totally wild West, totally like, you know, anonymous and everything, even that the data is all being collected. It's not being collected by a corporation or, but it is, but it's being collected by, 
um, somebody in that is you know it's it's being it's being recorded and there's a record and a log of it so yeah so yeah is it forcing us into these darker spaces or goading us not forcing is it goading a small percentage of us into darker spaces and then you know is it sort of creating a an indelible record of that those are the two um points that i would raise yeah montero chris montero i've like uh followed his work He's really interesting in this. I mean, he's a total vigilante in how he's acting in this story. And he's also sort of like somebody who's on dark web frequently. He's uh, sort of under the guise of anonymity. And he's, he's uh, sort of being the, the good guy actor in this. And, yeah. and that's, that's also kind of interesting to me in that, um, like why he was so proactive about it. I mean, I, I think, I think it's not that difficult to assume that if somebody got a hold of these records, they would want to act on it in some way. But I, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious into um, what it was like to sort of interact with them. Yeah. He, you know, I, I, it's, I don't know. He's, he's a perplexing fellow in a man, in many ways. Cause I, it's, I can't imagine doing this. Like I, I did it for, six months seriously basically it took me about i'd say i did it you know the story spanned about a year from from pitch to to publication but like it was like six months i'd say of serious work um and that six months of this material occupying my headspace was almost more than i could uh bear it was just like it's it's just it's so it's so deeply unpleasant to have to navigate it at all. I mean, it's it, 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 it it's like spending all of your time on like one of those many faces of death forums from the early you know internet days. Like, why would you do this? Um, I mean, obviously he's trying to help people, and he I think deserves a lot of credit for trying to do that. And I think he's just been it's just, it's, it is, it's, it's this almost indecipherable kind of issue because it's like, on the one hand, it is um, obviously awful. There are people who are probably in real danger. On the other hand, it's almost impossible to get all of these government agencies to take it seriously. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest outcome of his work. And that, that is, that's what at this point, I mean, I know from conversations with him, that's what he wants. He wants somebody to either sort of agree to work with him in a structured fashion and just do this, like to do the work, just take care, take it off. It's not his job. He shouldn't be having to do this. Um, you know, like, or at least find some way that he can, he can work through it in a way that's, um, compensated or, or or something so it's this hard nebulous space and he doesn't really know what to do so um I, I i think he seemed heartened a little bit that the dhs in the u.s was seeming to take some of this on they made a couple arrests um based on his his evidence and um but whether that'll hold going forward it's really hard to say i don't know yeah, yeah. so so how did you like you said you kind of did it for i mean the story sort of spanned a year but there's six months where you're like really heavily researching contacting these people um did you spend like were you like spending all your time on like the dark web like on a burner computer like what were you doing yeah i was on you know i was on the dark web i was this website there are a couple 
other, as I mentioned at the end of the piece, there are a couple incidents that did not take place on Basa Mafia or any of these, but were sort of arranged on more general kind of Russian language um, marketplaces on the dark web that yeah. one in which it looks like it it's according to sort of the investigation in Russia and then by the BBC journalists um, who covered it, it seems to be the first con- confirmed case of sort of this moving from theoretical to real in which two young men accepted a job to kill a woman, a, a, a pol- an investigator, a, a public investigator, no less completely anonymously on the dark, on the dark web. They don't know who hired I mean, she was investigating corruption and so had a lot of enemies, presumably, but they found the people who pulled the trigger, but they didn't find who made the sale. So um, that, I think, heralds a more um, alarming uh, sort of front in this develop in, in, in this developing kind of um, phenomenon than uh, than than base of mafia. I mean, base of mafia is alarming because it offers you a window into people who are willing to do awful things, and it gives us some evidence that we should act upon. There's no immediate threat posed by that actual institution. It's right. it's it's all from the people who are participating in it. That that, that makes me think about um, using Bitcoin to do it too. Uh, doesn't make a ton of sense to me since it's fairly transparent. I don't know if maybe like these people were using mixers. I mean, but yeah. even then I feel like that that's sort of like not, you would think that would be potentially what is getting these people caught. Yeah, no, in these, in the, so that's, and that is, a, that's a good point. That's a great point. And that's mo- the people who are, do know what's, know, know what's up. They do know to like tumble or, or, or mix that, their bitcoin so it's less traceable but you still can subpoena you know uh the exchanges themselves as i understand it in a criminal case so i think in a couple instances they have approached the um uh the, the exchanges you know with a warrant and 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 have been able to get information that way so you can you know it is not perfectly untraceable um, and again, I think it's another dimension that's worth exploring into how much just like, you know, the illusion of total anonymity sort of uh, feels, makes people feel like they're free to act in these more deranged ways. But in a lot of cases, maybe the anonymity is enough. You know, if you, it's, again, a lot of these I'm finding cross state lines, cross country lines. So like in Alexis's case, we think we know who the person is who did it, but he lives in Britain. So you would have to extradite him to try him. And England in particular has been very reluctant to use any of this sort of evidence. They have a complex relationship with, with Chris Montero or their, um, their, the, the, their NCA, the, their, the version of the FBI they have there has a very contentious relationship with him because they're even more averse to using any evidence gained from hacking or anything like that. So, you know, they have been even slower to move their feet on, 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 on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, it is. And so, yeah, it, to your question about, about anonymity, it, you know, it, it, I think, yeah, it can provide like this shield for people who don't know. A lot of people who find this stuff 
are buying their uh, are, are buying their first Bitcoin to do these killings. I mean, I can't be sure, but it's sure like there's instructions on how to purchase Bitcoins, where to where to where to buy it, where to. Yeah. So it's like most of these people are not like um, the 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 case of the Minnesota man uh, who killed his wife. So in the in his case, like he really he did know what he was doing. He read up enough. He was familiar with the architecture of um you know of 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 bitcoin and and exchanges and how to do it and how to send and i think he did like tumble his bitcoin and um but a lot of these people are finding it from finding this whole marketplace from a google search and that's how his operation works is that he would basically have an seo farm spam out the search terms for like hire a hitman online. So when you Google like, you know, like how to hire an assassin online or how to hire a hitman on the dark net, his WordPress site, which was sort of like designed to look like it was, it was like a blog post that was like, Oh, uh, you know, like the, don't look at these hitman websites because these ones are for real. And then it had a link to, you know, his action, his, his hoax um, and people would find it that way. And then it was like, well, you need, you know, you need to, you know, download a Tor browser to, to, to do this. And then you would go to the webpage and it was like, okay, you're going to need Bitcoin and here's how to buy a Bitcoin. Here's some good exchanges you can use. And it's basically walking people through, um, the steps necessary to participate in there in the hoax. One interesting thing you did point out was um, how like economic downturn or depression lowers the stakes for people who would be willing to partake in a murder for hire service, which is interesting. I mean, that's all crime across the board. It is crazy to, to think about that too, um, especially like considering, I think you, it was Montero in, in the piece you quoted him saying sort of that uh, the natural tendency of like anonymous markets are that they they gain trust over time and and this is a this is like a small niche market then maybe one of the most niche i'm sure there's other ones that are probably even weirder but like what do you what do you think about future scenarios here yeah i mean and that's the i mean that's what i think i game it out just a little bit in the piece but not overwhelmingly so because it's hard it is hard to speculate and there are there are a couple avenues that things could go down in which sort of this phenomenon becomes genuinely worrisome and i again i think that it's important to underscore that like the fear is not that some like super polished like hitman r us website pops up where anybody can kill anybody at any time it's more going to be more people trying to get into this scammy slipshod sort of weird construction where they're either perpetrating a scam or they're hoping to participate in a scam the the, the, the point you raised about people being willing to you know do more severe crimes for less money is trend that concerns some criminologists, particularly the one that I spoke to who surveyed um, hitmen in, in England and found that the price of life was actually quite cheap in a lot of cases. So the fear becomes that like as people who kind of grow up online, as sort of disinformation sort of scatters our trust in institutions and makes it hard for us to identify which sites are for real, which aren't, you have a lot of young men who are, you know, without opportunity. And then you have cases 
like that of THC John, who I mentioned in the piece, uh, but don't explore a whole lot. But he is, he was, he's like a would-be hitman who is kind of brought into being by the website. And he's the only one that we know of because you're a, in fact, when he was sort of in one of his arguments with Chris Montero, they fight because Chris Montero publishes embarrassing things about him on his blog. Then he has to revamp his website, rename it so that people don't Google the name and then immediately read a list of why it's a hoax. So he, they kind of play whack-a-mole together also. But when he first, when they first interacted, he tried to intimidate Chris Montero by, by having one of the people who had applied to be a hitman on his website. I don't know if I mentioned that. You can apply to be a hitman. This, I think, in the beginning was either illusory and was just sort of meant to give the impression that this was a market with you know, buyers and sellers of this good. Or he had higher aspirations for the site and maybe was willing to give it a whirl. So I'll, so there's a few dozen people that have applied that like they send these bizarre applications like YouTube videos of themselves like shooting guns in a field saying, look, I can be a hitman. I'll be your next hitman. Um, and this guy, THC John, was one of them. And he said, hey, like, go torch a car and hold up this sign that had Chris Montero's website on it. And he did. And he paid him like a few hundred bucks. Um, and that transaction happened because as he said, when, when he was found out by, and it was approached by Chris Montero later, he was told, uh, he, he kind of broke, he's like, oh, I didn't, I'm just a broke guy. I'm just trying to make some money. I didn't want to hurt anybody once it was like he was at risk of being revealed. So men like that are the fear as sort of in economic desperation and the sort of scattering of trust in internet sort of institutions and, and online fluency is more more kind of diffuse and I, I think those two worlds could end up having some more outcomes like this super super dark topic um and like your sort of humor at the beginning makes a lot of sense that is like how you cope with with stuff like this in like a modern, I have to ha have like a normal life kind of way. Are you doing any more work like this? Well, I'm continuing to sort of pull at the threads of this. There are say I, I, they still haven't made meaningful progress um, on Alexis's case um, that I'm aware of. I've still been in touch with her a little bit and. Um, the UK media picked up the story and has been um, kind of like blowing it up in the tabloid press a little bit. So I've been trying to figure out what I could do or what I could write that could try to goad the UK criminal justice system into taking this seriously. Um, I don't know. I, I, I honestly am at a bit of a loss for what I could do, but I mean, I'm going to continue to to try to, push this at least until they something is done about this guy this um looking into you know who else it could be you know i if it's not him and they're not worried about it then then i then let's find somebody else you know like i think evidence that it is him is pretty compelling he seems like it warrants closer investigation so i you know i as a i feel like kind of a little bit at a loss because as a you know journalist as a writer they i've kind of done what i can do um you know i've mm -hmm. written a story and i've sort of gone on twitter and yelled about it and maybe you know the next step is trying to do something a little more explicitly uh, aimed at 
the law enforcement angle and what could be done and what is not being done. So that's a potential follow-up uh, story that I, you know, I'm definitely still in touch with all these sources. Um, definitely still in touch with Chris. Um, and I have for the time being put away the, um, you know, the, the wiki itself and the, and I'm not spending time on the murder boards, but it's, um, very much something that I doubt I'll be able to leave behind anytime soon. Yeah, it's it's a sounds like you're in a kind of an interesting place. Um given that it's very hard to drop, but also kind of needs to be dropped too. Um I mean I, I would think in some way, but like so like what else do you do too? I know you are basically managing um Terraform, the it's like a it's a sci-fi publication, right? Yeah, it's like we do sort of near future speculative fiction kind of stuff that's supposed to sort of contextualize and make resonant sort of themes that are showing up in the in the science and tech news, um, which science fiction always does to some extent. But, you know, we try to keep it vital and interesting and short form and Internet friendly. So, yeah, that's that's one of my hats. I'm also um, an editor at, um, at at Medium right now, focusing on sort of uh, um, books, books, books coverage. Um, taking a look at science and tech and science fiction and books about the future. As uh, you know, I'm foremost these days an, an author. I'm working on my second book and have published a, a a book about the iphone your books are nonfiction, correct my books are nonfiction. okay no i was just curious because i was gonna ask like have you written about an assassination market yet but i guess you kind of have so yeah i mean if insofar as there's a story that blurs the lines between fiction and nonfiction and reality and surreality this harper's story is the one uh so we'll see. Uh, yeah. Um, and then like my other thought uh, with all this too, um, I don't, I didn't really get this sense at all from your piece. I'm also like a bi- bias too, because I'm like a journalist. So I like, get it. But um, you know, a lot of people, when stuff like this comes out, they interpret it as some sort of like story angle to some kind of like scare cat tactics like advocacy or something like that i don't know but there's also there's that and then there's also the risk of like taking these people and bringing attention to this stuff and it being yeah. interpreted as like manipulative or giving a platform to the wrong kind of people like how how did you sort of navigate that with this yeah i i mean it's a it's a valid concern um and I think that the considerations were both sort of addressed by me in the fact that like Harper's is kind of a highbrow literary magazine that is mostly read uh, offline. Um, so I doubt that the overlap between aspiring darknet criminals uh, who might use it as inspiration or a case study is pretty small. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> The biggest thing is that there's enough of a worry that we're falling behind in terms of how we address these problems when they creep up that pretending that they don't exist is not really an option anymore. Two people 
have been killed who maybe could have these deaths could have been prevented um the the psychological terror that someone like alexis lives with because of the actions of somebody um you know taking this hit out online and law enforcement being unable or unwilling to address it is again there are there were there are dozens and dozens of names on these lists some of them who are aware that they are on these lists and don't know the parameters of 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 that quote unquote hit um and who how serious the person might be and they are there are people who are living in fear there are people who are in danger and there are people who are dead so i think that it is something that it is it is something that needs to be examined at this point you can't just pretend that um that these uses of um the dark net and of of sort of tan deeply tangentially um you know bitcoin are um you know not 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 a real not a real problem i mean with Bit bitcoin it's just so it's just it's it is so tangential i mean this could happen without bitcoin you know i don't think bitcoin or cryptocurrencies are implicated at all in this nor necessarily the dark web you know there are yeah. good uses yeah. of the dark web that you know in in protecting whistleblowers and um but it's it you you have we have to be realistic we have to recognize that like really shitty things are taking place on these platforms and it's just about figuring out how we deal with them and just pretending that it's not enough of an issue to warrant uh you know spend an hour talking to alexis and talk and talk about you know, she quit school, she quit jobs, she walks around with a knife in her purse because she does, she doesn't know, she didn't know um, who might be after her. And to say that, you know, like, we should just ignore this threat so that people don't become interested in it, I think is at this point um, unfair to, to, the, to the victims who, who have, um, you know, suffered at its hands already. Well, uh, Brian, uh, it's been a dark, <laughs> an interesting interview uh thanks for taking all this time out of your afternoon yeah, thanks thanks for thanks for having me and um you know i i do hope some of it is interesting and and yeah the piece is still at, at, over at harper's so i encourage anyone to check it out who's interested so thanks thanks again for having me it was, it was a pleasure The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is a BTC media produced podcast on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. You can find us on Twitter at Bitcoin Magazine and you can find out about other engaging shows we produce by subscribing to our feed on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.